Sea Stories. Lives touched by the sea. This is probably like the first evening we started out here. Yeah. So when we came out, what were you expecting? I was very, very nervous. Um, yeah, and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't want to come, really. I, I mean, I, I tried all sorts of ball games. Football, no good. Golf, absolutely terrible. It just triggered something inside of me. Um, and I, my, my brother was doing a history of the family and uh, I found a distant relative was a boatman on the canal. So maybe you go. <laughs> I definitely, the first uh, in, in both sides of the family, an extended family, the first person to ever sort of have an association with the sea. This is Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea, a radio documentary series for East Coast FM. Hello and welcome to Sea Stories. I'm John Murphy and in this series I'm going to be talking with many different people about their lifelong involvement with the sea. I've been sailing for over 40 years and in that time I've met some really interesting people with fascinating stories. For some, the sea has given them a livelihood. For others, it's an obsession, perhaps even a love affair. All have in some way or other been captured or enthralled by the sea's beguiling mystery and allure. Today, we are sailing with Miles Kelly, a racing and cruising sailor from Bray. Miles came to sailing late in his life at the age of 50. Today, he sails his own boat from Dunnery Harbour. This is Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. There's the wind, uh, there's the beam. Like that. Now, what the middle of Docky Sound as we are now. Just, we're now just off the end of Sorrento Terrace, Sorrento Point, and uh, the Martello Tower on Docky Island is on one side, and Sorrento Terrace is on the other side. And not a soul out here except that parable went by. The dart is rumbling along and you can't hear it out here. No, <laughs> no. I hear nothing. It's fabulous. The sun going down behind Kalani Hill. How is it organised here? How is racing organised? In classes? And yeah, well, there's, a, there's an umbrella organisation called the Dublin Bay Sailing Club, DBSC. And they organise all the racing for all of the clubs uh, in, in, in Dublin Bay, the, the, the four main clubs and uh, guys from the marina who might want to go racing. So they, they have it split into classes, they've got cruises zero for which were the, big, the, the big boats, big fast boats, zero, one, two, three and cruises four which is the class I joined with the 19 footer. Um, and then they have all the, the different dinghies and the flying 15s and I mean there's such a, a range of boats it's quite incredible you know the idea is you know we're racing they always try to start you with a, a beat which is sailing head to wind uh, a reach spinnaker run back on a beat all sorts of things to, to, to test your skills in every way and it's, it's just fantastic you're racing pure racing machines and so there's, a, in, there's something like 40 boats registered in cruises 3 class and they range from like 30, 30 footers down to my boat which is 22 there's a smaller one which is the Beneteau 21 so they're a little, like a little racing machine 
Yeah, but they're they're about on the same level of, as us. Yeah. We we you know. Two ten is it or two ten? Two ten. Yeah. They're nice little boats. They are, yeah. And we're always surrounded as we're going racing. There's always a few of those around us. So we're all at the same, about the same pitch, you know. The boat I have now, after the Hunter Europa, and the guy that took me out sailing, remember I said he, was, yeah. he took me out racing? Um, I fell in love with his boat because it was slightly bigger than the one I had. And it was a fast boat, fast racing boat. He was winning a lot. After three years with the Hunter Europa, I bought that boat. It's called Miranda from him. And I've been racing it ever since, you know. You've been very successful the racing, haven't you? Yeah, well, as I said, in Cruises 4, we were cleaning up every year. It's, it's, it's a really fast boat. You're listening to Sea Stories, where we talk with people whose lives have been touched by the sea. Today I'm sailing with Miles Kelly from Bray. Coming to sailing late in life, Miles has caught up fast. He's become passionate about racing in Dublin Bay and has developed his sailing skills over the past 10 years to be one of the top racing sailors in his class. But a couple of years ago, he added one of sailing's top cruising ambitions to his list of achievements. The Atlantic Rally for Cruisers, the ARC as it's called, is a must-do for many sailors and attracts over 200 boats and 1,200 people every year to sail some 2,700 miles across the Atlantic from Gran Canaria to San Lucia in the Caribbean. We'll be covering the ARC in two future programmes and accompanying a group of sailors from Dublin as they cross the Atlantic. For miles, Sailing across an ocean was a life-changing experience. It was the first time he'd really taken time for himself. It was a total change from everyday life. When I, when I got out there, the feeling of peace, calm, and detachment from quite a busy family life, busy... I, I never had so much time, if you like. I'm watching that pot there as well. Yeah, and there's ones to just to the right here. So I think we're going straight through them. Yeah, we're going here. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, but I was married when I was 20, and we had our four children before I was 30. So we, a lot of time was spent with the family, and being out there was the first time that I can remember. And I was the eldest of a, of a family of six. It's the first time I can actually remember having just so much time just for me. And although there were four other crew members on board. They were there just for themselves. It was, it's your, your, your responsibility. You know, they're not, they're not responsible for you. And although they, they have your back and all that sort of thing, um, it, it was just an incredible feeling of suddenly just having all this space for myself, even though it was only a 45-foot boat. And I had a small cabin to myself, which was great, a uh, very small cabin, but it was just... My whole world just shrunk down to this small space I was sharing on the boat but it was so manageable and it was so peaceful and needless to say the weather was fabulous there was no you know we were very very lucky that year in 2011 there was no hardship with the weather we had only one tropical rainstorm crossing yeah it gave us an opportunity to have showers we were conserving water so we had showers you know you know, you know, like on a boat, that's 45-foot boat, and where we are, that sounds quite big, but it's quite small here at yeah, sea. Yeah. What's that like? How do you get on with other people on a, on a crew like that? Uh, I suppose I was lucky in the sense that the, 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 the crew that I had were, were a family. Basically, it was the skipper, his wife, the daughter, and the, the skipper's sister-in-law. So they, there, was, there was a sort of a, a close family unit who had come from a long line of sailors 
you know, we were very big into sailing. Um, and they obviously they got on well with each other. And you know, I mean, I can actually probably sort of guy I can get on quite well with most people. And my my whole thing was, well, you know, I, I have nothing. I, I don't have to stake any claims. I don't. I'm not looking for territory. They were very nice. They gave me a small cabin to myself. The skipper and his wife had a forward cabin, and the two other girls slept in the the bunks in the saloon. Yeah. You know. Um, so we all had our own bunk. There was no hot bunks or anything like that. So we all had our own bunk and our own little space, um, and we got on. We got on extremely well. And 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 a lot of it had to do with that. They were, they were really really nice people. They're just family people, same as myself. You know. Um, I know on some of the other boats uh, there were tensions, um, and, and it's it's quite it can be a problem for if you're three weeks at sea, uh, especially with alpha male. There can be, you know, it can be a problem. Life at sea on a long passage, like a crossing of the Atlantic, can be very relaxing, but it also requires a level of constant vigilance. There's the weather, the safety of fellow crew members and yourself, the trim of the sails and the wear and tear of the boat to keep an eye on. So, yeah. It's everyone's responsibility, but most especially the skippers. Uh, the skipper was very careful with us. Uh, in the first week, we had, you know, we had to wear life jackets every time we came up from below and clip on. Um, that started, he started to get a bit more relaxed as we got more and more into the trip, although we were all sailors, you know, seasoned sailors. Now at night time we, we always had to be clipped on and have our life jackets and we had our own uh, physician locator. Oh, Each one of us had a clipped one, yeah. so it was just... Which so is if, it, if, if you fell overboard and the distance increased between you and the sensor unit, it's an alarm off, is that the That's one? it, that's yeah. the one, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So each one of us had one of those, so it was great. What about the food and the cooking, how did that work out? Well, we were very lucky that the skipper's wife um, was very organised and she was pretty good at doing the cooking, so I, I, I didn't inflict my cooking on anybody. But um, she had this magic pot that she had bought at one of the boat shows, and I don't know how it works, but basically all she had to do, if she wanted, we were going to have chicken and vegetables and potatoes or whatever it was, uh, she would put water, boil, she'd boil the water in this pot and then put the chicken and the vegetables in but not into the water. It was almost like a steamer, but then it went inside another container and with an insulated jacket on it, and she left it like that for eight hours. So that after breakfast, the, the cooking was done like that, um, and we would have dinner. Um, now, dinner every night was served. Because of the perpetual motion of the boat, the, another thing she had discovered, uh, I, don't th I don't know whether it was at a boat show, but anyway, were these dog bowls. Uh, big deep dog bowls with a non-slip base on big oh, heavy yeah, rubber yeah, base yeah. you know it's the stuff dogs when they're feeding pushing their food all around the kitchen trying to get the food out but they actually they were quite amazing in that if you didn't fill them up to the top the boat could heel at an angle nearly 45 degrees and your dinner didn't go on the floor um, but the only thing was that um, because of this magic pot that she was madly in love with and uh, chicken every night. Chicken. Well, no, we, didn't have, we did pork chops and chicken and other meats. She had other meats as well. 
but everything tasted the same. Yeah. It, there, were, there was no variety. It, I don't know, and I don't know what the taste was. I can't. I, I don't know if it was chicken pork chop. Or next whatever. thing, what you do? The next thing I find great thing for a long distance cooking is uh, chorizo, and also cavijo is a sweet chili sauce. Or do you know what's magnificent? Right, just a little commercial break here. There's a company in Kinkool and they make inferno sauce, right? It's like a hot sauce. It's natural, made in Ireland. It looks like it comes from Mexico. Very sneaky habit in your kit bag. That'll solve that problem. I'm John Murphy, and today, sailing with me along Ireland's east coast is Miles Kelly. We are talking about how he started sailing, his racing success, and just now about his voyage across the Atlantic to the Caribbean, which is a dream for many sailors. Sailing across an ocean is a great adventure, no matter how many people have done it before. Elaine Bunting, editor of Yachting World, put it so nicely when she said, the roofless view of the unconfined sky and wave upon wave can be enough sometimes to give even the most seasoned sailor the collywobbles. No one really knows, until they get out there, how it feels to be so far from land, a thousand miles of ocean in all directions and a few miles of water beneath. Sometimes you just want to keep going. You're listening to Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. I can honestly say that I was sad when I sighted land. I was very, very, very sad. I didn't want to come ashore. And, I, I, you know, I could nearly understand some of these guys. The guy, who was the guy that, the French guy, this guy sailed around the world and uh, decided not to, not to go across the finish line. And he set off and went back around the world again. Um, but I can understand, you know, if you've led a busy life, which I had, and I say, having a business, and I was... I mean, I, I, I left school early and I was, uh, I'd worked when the business closed. I'd been working for 50 years and eight months non-stop, you know, and it was like the same thing. Get up early in the morning, get home at night. It got a bit easier as I got older. I didn't have to be working late nights, you know, when I was, that's how. And that's when the sailing really changed my life because sailing, it was like when I got into the sailing and the racing, I didn't care what was going on in the job. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, I knew I was going sailing. And no matter what came, I went. I never, ever, ever missed it. Not once. I would start planning my Tuesdays on Monday morning and my Thursdays on Wednesday morning to make sure that everything that I could possibly do to make sure that nothing got in the way of me going out for sail, you know? If the wind's gone the wind's dead gone behind. Uh, yeah. They keep going out a bit, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Just look at this guy back over over uh, Docky and over Clanny Hill there. That's lovely. It was quite incredible actually last night. We were looking to the northwest at about ten o'clock at night and there was this refracted light and it, it almost looked like it was the city lights, but you know, out out there towards uh, yeah. where is it? Um, Sutton. And that there's not that much light. The glow right across was absolutely fabulous. It was you beautiful. You don't get to see these things as you come out here, or as you go out yeah. to sea. And you go out to sea, yeah. It's like the, like the sunsets in the middle of the Atlantic, or it's like the, you know, the how far away the horizon is. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Even though it's not any further than you see it here, it just seems further. But the incredible thing is, like when you look at the horizon here, right, you can see so much, and then you see land, and it breaks. Yeah. Thing when you're out in the middle of the Atlantic, when you look, you see the horizon. Is actually goes around in a complete circle around you. It's 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 just it's a bit like sailing in a saucer, you know. And that's that's what it's like. That you're this you're in this saucer which is moving across. It's it's the same amount of sea around you all the time. You you know. And unless something comes into view, 
which you might see every few days if you're lucky. Um, there's nothing to break that. It's just, and you look around you and the horizon is the same all around. I come to these programs from the perspective of a lifelong cruising sailor with limited racing experience. Cruising is often about family sailing or going distances and visiting places. Dublin Bay racing, however, is an entirely different thing and while it hones skills, it's often a short-lived but an intense experience in close competition with your fellow racers. Racing with your wife would be a disaster, I imagine. Cruising would be fine, you know, because everything is easy. But racing with your wife, because, you know, uh, skippers can get quite abusive. And what I found, I, uh, that when I made several attempts to introduce my daughters to sailing, uh, they just said, well, I don't have to put up with that. <laughs> and if they could have wa walked off the boat, they would have done. But um, as soon as we got on dock, they walked off and said, well, I'm never going out with you again. Well, over the, over the years uh, with the racing and, and uh, you know, getting lots of, young crew, a turnover of young crew every year. The, the one thing that every single one of them has to say, and a lot of them being young, uh, young engineers or computer pro programmers, I have a, one of the crew at the moment is a, a young lady GP, uh, secondary school teachers, a, a huge range of people from different uh, professions. But the one thing that they all say is that when they step onto the boat, they leave everything behind. All my friends play golf, my male friends, uh, they all play golf and every time I meet up with them they're bemoaning the fact that the club was this and the rain was that and they didn't get this and the ball blew that way and they're never, uh, they never ever seem to be able to reach the level of euphoria that I get from having been out there. And it doesn't matter whether you win or anything, it's the fact that you've been out there and just on the sea you know, working against the elements with all the variables that there are, the boat, the crew, different crew every night, different winds, different rain, sun, thing. nothing is ever the same day after day here in Dublin Bay and, and that's, that's what it's all about, you know, and you don't have to worry about, you know, if you make a mistake that, oh, I should have tacked a little bit sooner, you have a chance to make it up later on, whereas if you hit a, a golf ball wrong, that's it. More lobster parts around here to keep an eye out for. Yeah. There's a house here, and in recent years, it's, it's put a statue on top of a pillar. You'll see it. And I think it's a fellow holding a rugby ball. It's very nice. Oh, yeah, I see that. Look at this one over here. I mean, I know. what's happening there? That's, that's, that's like an armor project. <laughs> that's like that a long, long time. Yeah. Many, many years, isn't yeah, it? That's long yeah. before now, I'd say that. This one here. We're going to have to, we're losing speed now, and tides. And we can't point up any higher. And I can't point any higher. So I think we're going to have to fire up the engine, I'm afraid. Okay. Because the tide going down to Docky Sound is bringing us to a. It's quite strong, it? It, it channels through here. As the water's channeled through the, the, the sound here, it gets quite, the tides are very, very strong. We're nearly pushing us backwards now. The winds are so gentle. What kind of costs annually are associated with keep 
<laughs> Cross increases with the length of the boat. I've got a 23 foot boat. Um, my, the club membership is just for a, a single ordinary member is about 800 euro. And then the mooring for the boat. All in all, I suppose with the club membership, the mooring, the launch fees, um, and then the storage of the boat winter time in a boat yard, you're looking at probably about two and a half to three thousand for a boat on my size, but it would be way, way more for a boat this size. And then if you if you want then to if you wanted to change, you, on my boat I wouldn't change the sails, maybe every five years, and a suit of sails, uh, main sail a Genoa and a number two sail would set you back about three and a half, four thousand euro. You know. So, you know, um, one, of, one of the things I did uh, when, again, this is all life-changing stuff at 49.50, um, I decided to give up smoking. I had a little scare, I was getting this thing in my mouth and I went to the doctor and he said, it's smoke, give it up. So I read the Alan Carr's book uh, on how to give up smoking. And one of the things he said in the book was, the money you spend on cigarettes, if you get that money and buy something for yourself that you've always wanted, and just for yourself, nothing for the house or your children or your wife or anything, just buy something for yourself and commit the money to that, um, it'll help you to give up smoke. And I did, and I, well, that's how I bought the boat, because it, the, the cost of the boat was exactly what I was spending on cigarettes. And I've, get, I've had a lifestyle then since then, which has been outdoors. I've met fabulous people, uh, healthy, uh, you know, lifestyle, and I don't smoke anymore. You know, so um, yeah, I highly recommend it. <laughs>I hope you make the best of it, and I hope you see things that startle you. I hope you feel things that you never felt before. I hope you meet people with a different point of view. I hope you live a life you're proud of. And if you find that you're not, I hope you have the courage to start all over again. Those are the words of screenwriter Eric Roth, written for one of his screen characters, Benjamin Button. In other programmes in this series, we'll talk with men and women who have sailed around the world crossed oceans many times and they all understand this longing, this ability to take a different path, to set forth to become masters of their own destinies, to accept the challenge to step outside their comfort zones, their workaday patterns and find out what they are made of and who they may be. If you want to hear more programmes and clips from other programmes in the series, head over to our website seastories.ie. I'm John Murphy. Join me next time on Sea Stories. Next time on Sea Stories. We lost a few friends because they drifted away and they probably a lot of them become richer than we were and, and maybe a bit resentful about what we were doing, I don't know. I think a lot of people had changed because a lot of people had got caught up in that whole kind of wealth and property and, you know, and, and, and really like... Um, 
I, I suppose when we were coming back after the seven years, you know, we thought, OK, well, we'll just slot back in. We're going back in to live in the same house, same area. We'll have the same friends. And the truth is, it, it, like, it, didn't, it didn't pan out like that because they had changed. But also, fundamentally, like, our values had changed hugely. Sea Stories is a 21st century Vox production for East Coast FM. And the programme was produced by Pat Hannan. Find out more information about Sea Stories. Visit our website, seastories.ie, or go to facebook.com forward slash seastoriesireland. Or follow us on Twitter at seastoriesirl. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, with funding from the Television Licence Fee.